0: My preaching flannel. Yeah. I gave him permission to say that. That this is my preaching flannel. It is the season for flannels, so that's okay. Well, good morning. Morning. It's good to see you this morning. Good to be here uh, with you this morning. For those of you who don't know who I am, or maybe if you're new or visiting. My name is Caleb Klontz. I am the Director of Discipleship Ministries, uh, part of the pastoral staff here. That basically means I I oversee kind of a few different uh, ministries, but uh, primarily life groups and our global outreach team. And so typically when I get the opportunity to preach, there will be something related to missions or something related to uh, community and relationship and that sort of thing. Those are things I'm passionate about, so um, don't be surprised. Fair warning this morning. Um, if you see lights flicker and stuff, I just want you guys to know that's not the fault of anybody back in the booth this morning. We've had some issues over the weekend. We had some issues with, uh, with it when Ben was teaching his class for Nick's. am not sure if any of you were, he- were here for that. What a great time that was, uh, just a good time of learning. I was in and out because I was doing message prep, so that's always a little bit different uh, a weekend for me. So anyway, but it is, it is good to be uh, with you. This morning, we find ourselves at the end of the chapter of uh, chapter nine of John, the story of the man born blind but healed by Jesus. And, uh, and really, it's a, it, it's a neat story. Um, this is really the, the, the culmination, the punchline, the final portion of that. I would encourage you, if you're just joining us today, we'll go over a little bit of that. I'll try and uh, kind of refer back a few times, but go back online and listen to the messages uh, Ben preached a couple weeks ago and then Chris last week. and uh, and listen to those that will give you the full context of this story, um, because it really is a a neat story. Um, It's a story um, that that I love in particular, um, because in it we see really um, uniquely in a way a glimpse of a disciple in the making. We see a behind-the-scenes look of one man's journey, uh, as short as it was uh, of coming to faith. And for uh, for some of us, this process of coming to faith is is a short one. Uh, perhaps you hear the gospel for the first time, and you recognize your need of a savior, and you place your faith and trust in Christ. Um, and that is that's that is fantastic. Uh, that's the best way. Um, you know, uh, some people got to learn the hard way, as the DC Talks on says. And some of us it takes longer, right? Some of us take a little bit longer. In that journey of faith, maybe we hear uh, the gospel and it takes us a long time to recognize our depravity. And I know that's true often for those who grow up uh, in the church. I know that was true for me the, the, when I really realized uh, that I needed a savior um, was was later, a little bit later in my life. Uh, not as late as, as for some, but anyway, uh, we see this glimpse here and I think that that's what's, what's so neat. And we can look back and see a few things but a slide here um, that shows a few of the things that we've seen so far in this story. And the first one is that this man responds in obedience to Jesus' commands. He responds in obedience. Jesus tells him, he puts the the spittle, he makes the mud, he puts it on his eyes, and then he tells him to go wash in the pool, and he goes and obeys and does that. He recognizes um, Jesus as the one who healed him, at least by name, in verse 11. Um, He makes a declaration that, that Jesus is a prophet in verse 17. And then uh, he recognizes what Jesus has done for him in verse 25. Then he associates with Jesus as a follower, a disciple. When he asks the Pharisees, you don't want to be a disciple too, do you? They say, you're a disciple, we're a disciple of Moses. And then recognition that Jesus must be sent from God as he claimed in verse 33. So this story begins with this encounter with Jesus the creator of all things, the very one who created this man blind from birth, the one who knit him together in his mother's womb, the savior of the world. He begins with this encounter with Jesus, and it ultimately leads, as we'll see this morning, to worship, to his worshiping Jesus. By the end of the chapter, this man will undoubtedly be able to boldly proclaim along with the psalmist in Psalm 146 verses 8 through 10 that the Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord protects the strangers. He supports the fatherless and the widow, but he thwarts the way of the wicked. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations Praise the Lord. And right up front for us this morning, right in the, in the title of our, of our message and right from the text, there's a question for us. A question, do you believe in the Son of Man? And maybe you're listening or you're here this morning and, and you say, yes. And, and it's a simple, short answer. Yes, I believe in the Son of Man. That's great. There's a lot for us in this text still as we've seen throughout the book of John. Maybe your answer is, I'm not sure. I've been hearing about this Jesus, but I'm not sure who he is. I don't understand this title, Son of Man. How would I say I believe in him if I don't get what this means? Perhaps your simple answer is no, I don't believe. Regardless of what your answer is, but especially if it's one of the latter two, I invite you to follow along with us this morning as we go through this text. I invite you to, to pray with us that God would open our eyes to what he has for us in his word, that he might reveal himself to us as he does to this man born blind. And so now that you're comfortable in your seats, uh, if you haven't turned to, to John chapter 9 yet, 9.35-41, uh, through 41, I would invite you to turn there and to stand with me in honor of reading God's word as you're able. If you're not able, we understand. Um, but uh, out of respect for God's word, as we... Read John nine thirty five through 41 our text for this morning. All right. God's word for us this morning. Jesus heard that they had put him out, and finding him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and he is the one who is talking to You. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, so that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. Those of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and said to him, We are not blind too, are we? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say we see, your sin remains. Would you pray with me? Oh, glorious God in heaven, as we've sung this morning already, you are a great, great God. Your greatness goes beyond what we can comprehend. And the more and more we know of you, the greater you are still. Oh, how marvelous to think that you would consider us, that you would send your son out of love for us to die in our place so that we could be reconciled to you. It's mind-boggling, and yet that's the truth. And so, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your word. Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes as you did, this blind man, that we would see spiritual things, we would see the things that you have for us in your word this morning. And Lord, if we have not yet, that we might come to faith in you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you may be seated. If you're a note taker, I'll try and pause and we can go through the blanks uh, that are in your bulletin. Um, It is my fault that the blanks are too small for what I'm going to have up here. Um, Partly because I made the titles bigger in the end and partly because I just didn't think about writing uh, in the blank. So uh, the first uh, part, and we're going to see in verses 35 to 37 this morning, is the Son of Man affirms his deity. If you're following along in a NASB, you might have Jesus affirms his deity. That's not inspired, so I didn't feel bad about uh, about basically using that. So Jesus affirms his deity. The Son of Man affirms his deity. Um, and within that, we're going to see three things in this first part. And the first is that Jesus "...seeks his own." In verse 35a, our passage begins by saying that Jesus heard that they had put him, the man born blind, out. They would put him out of the synagogue. And the NESB doesn't really do this word or this idea justice. Okay, this word for put out, if you have a different translation other than the NESB, it probably has a better rendering of that, just because it's, it's a stronger word than that. It means cast or thrown or expelled Right? He's been expelled from the synagogue. They've thrown him out, kind of like a bouncer throwing you out of a bar if you get into a fight. I don't have any experience with that. But, but I, that's what I imagine anyway, right? Don't come back. You're not welcome here anymore. And so that's, that's the idea. And it isn't a situation like maybe we would think of in our North American situation where, you know, okay, you get kicked out of a church for some reason or other, or you don't like them or they don't like you or whatever, and so you just go on up the street to, to the next church. That's not how it worked, right? No, this was, a, this was serious business. This uh, expulsion from the synagogue, as we saw last week, would would mean expulsion from the, the social, spiritual, and civil spheres of society. Just when this man, no longer blind, could have enjoyed those privileges, right? No longer that, uh, that bad mark in society, no longer that, that man who's on the side of the road begging because of some sin that either he committed or his or his family committed, according to the people, right now he could be part of society again. And yet, just at the height of that, he testifies to who Jesus is, even though he doesn't fully understand. And he is he is put out, he is thrown out of the synagogue, no longer able to participate in these spheres. And Jesus hears this and finds the man. He comes to him and. Jesus knows those who are his, and he seeks them out. And so right away, a couple of lessons for us. And the first one is this, that Jesus comes to us where we are. Jesus comes to us where we are. lot of times we think, oh, I've got to be at a certain level before I can get saved, or I've got to know a certain amount. No, we walk in light of, of what we know and what we believe to be true, and then, and then Jesus comes and, and meets us there. Uh, he comes to us. He seeks his own. Another lesson, all of our stories are unique. All of our stories are unique. We are all called in different ways. I'm not saying that we all have our own truths, okay? That's something that we hear in the world a lot today. Oh, your experience is your truth, and so you have your truth, and you have your truth, and yes, there's truth. No, there is the truth, God's Word. There are things that must happen in our journey of salvation. For one, that Christ is the only way to God. Those sorts of things, right? But all of our stories are unique. The way God draws us, the way God works in our lives, the people he puts there, the people that share with us, the experiences we go through are all different. They're all unique. And uh, I don't know if you remember back to the, the motivational posters that were a big trend, I think back in the 90s. Anybody remember those? You know, like the cool pictures of like a lion or a cheetah or something. It would be like, achievement. and say something cool underneath. Or like, leadership. You know, and all those, you know. So you would go, yeah. Well, there were these these other company that was in response to that despair.com. Anyway, they did demotivational posters. I don't know if you guys remember those. Those were fun. I got one for you because we're all unique, and so we've got a. a, There we go. Look at this individuality. Always remember that you are unique, just like everybody else. No, but seriously, we we as believers, we each have our own stories. Our stories are unique. And God has worked uniquely within each of us to bring us to faith in Christ. And we see this with Jesus as well. We see this in the Gospels, that Jesus interacts differently with different individuals coming to where they're at. And so our stories are unique, and we see that with this man as well. I will share with you another story a little later that is a unique one of a man's journey to faith. The next thing we see is that, uh, that Jesus claims his title in 35B. Upon finding the man, Jesus asks him a pointed question. It's an important question. It's a question that is important for us as well. Perhaps the most important question we can ask ourselves. It's one on which our entire life, our entire worldview perhaps, our entire destiny hinges. Do you believe in the Son of Man? I know. You'll hear it again later, don't worry. Do you believe in the Son of the Man? It's the central part of our passage. This title, "Son of Man," is a title that Jesus assumes for himself. He alone uses it in this gospel. Uh, he always uses it and only in reference to himself. In fact, it's the primary title for himself that he claims and uses in the, in the, this gospel. And uh, it, it could come off as being a, a humble one, right? Son of man. He's using son of man instead of using son of God, right? He's uh, emphasizing his, his humanity, perhaps. At least we could be led to think that. And, and in the case of its usage, this phrase, son of man, this title, in, in books like Ezekiel, maybe even in the Gospel of Mark, that does seem to be the focus, that Jesus is emphasizing his humanity. But that isn't the case in John's Gospel, The reality is that Jesus is claiming a title that carries far more weight with it than that. Just look at the way Jesus uses this title so far in John's Gospel. Pardon me. Some examples. John 1, 51. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And Jesus is the, the point of intersection between heaven and earth, between humanity and the divine. John 3:13, no one has ascended into heaven but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Jesus is the one sent down from God, who comes down from heaven. John 5, 25-27, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, and now is, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live, for just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself, and he gave him authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Jesus is the one granted all authority, and it's specifically here the authority to execute judgment. John 6, 27, Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him the Father, God, has set his seal. Jesus is the one who bestows eternal life. In Revelation, John will refer to Jesus as the Son of Man twice in 113 it says in the in the middle of the candlesticks i saw one like a son of man 1414 then i looked and behold a white cloud and sitting on the cloud was one like a son of man all of these passages in this language especially here in revelation but but every all these passages point back to a key prophetic messianic text in the old testament one that certainly must have been known or familiar uh, for the Pharisees and for this man as well daniel seven thirteen through fourteen daniel seven thirteen through fourteen says this, and look at the way the language is similar to some of the verses we've already read. I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming, and he came up to the ancient of days. And was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom. That all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. Which will not pass away. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Jesus is the son of man. When Jesus says, do you believe in the Son of Man? He's not Jesus, meek and mild, right? He's talking about the one who has been given everlasting dominion and glory in a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. And he demands to be worshipped as such. He does. So do you believe in the Son of Man? Do you? A lesson for us, maybe a good application for us This week, Jesus is king, right? Jesus is king, amen? Amen, okay. In just a few days, our country will elect, as Chris mentioned, a a new leader. And without a doubt, on some level, this country will be shaken. I don't doubt it. Regardless of the outcome, there will be those who feel like all is lost. There will be those who despair. There will be those who feel hopeless. How can we go on? Brothers and sisters, we must not be those people. We must not be those people. Because the president isn't our king. Yes, he may rule the civil spheres of authority under which we reside, but Jesus is king. His kingdom will not be destroyed. All the peoples, nations, and men of every language are subject to his rule and serve him whether they know it or not. Here is hope, our confident expectation. He will return just as he said he will. And so regardless of the outcome of the election, whether we know about it on Wednesday or Thursday or Friday or by January, okay, whatever it is, When your heart starts to rise up in fear or panic or you become proud, remember this. Jesus is king. Remember that. Check our hearts, brothers and sisters. Jesus uh, reveals himself. Uh, That's the, the last thing we will see in this little first section, verses 36 to 37. So returning to the text. We see that when Jesus asks the man, do you believe in the son of man? The man responds, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? So there seems to be some understanding. Okay, son of man, he didn't say, well, no, I have no idea. He says, I, I don't know who he is and that I can believe in him. He hasn't made a, a full connection uh, that Jesus is talking about himself here. And so Jesus responds, you have both seen him, and he is the one who is talking with you. And the word Jesus uses for, for seen is, is not the more common word for to see, which he does use later on in the passage. So it is here. Oftentimes we see these plays on words. Um, but Jesus uses the word, not the word blepo, but uses the word horao. And you can ask Chris or Ben or somebody smarter than me if I pronounce those correctly. But anyway, the, the word that Jesus uses here means to appear or become visible to be made visible. And Jesus has healed this man from his physical blindness. And we have no indication that since that happened in the text, there's no indication that he has seen Jesus. And so it doesn't seem like that's what Jesus is referring to. Like, hey, you saw me. I was there with the Pharisees when they were interrogating you. Possible. We don't know. Text doesn't tell us that, though. And so we would assume that's not exactly what he's saying. He has healed him from this blindness, but... But now Jesus essentially pulls back this veil that's over this man's eyes. He lifts this man's spiritual blindness, revealing to him who he is. That Jesus is the son of man. And the lesson for us is that faith is a gift of God. We've seen that throughout John. We've seen that already. It's not new, but it takes an act of God to open our eyes to see the truth To heal our spiritual blindness so that we can have sight. The the man born blind affirms his sight in verses 38-39. If you're taking notes, the man born blind affirms his sight as we move on. Jesus reveals his true identity to this man and the response is faith. He says, Lord, I believe. And then he reacts as anyone who has found truth, as anyone who comes to faith in Christ should do naturally. He responds in worship. This is the only time in this gospel that worship is used directly in connection with Jesus. Yes, there are passages that talk about worshiping God. You worship God in this mountain. Um, uh, we worship here, Um, the the woman at the well says, um, there have been other times when worshiping God has been used. This is the the only time it's used. The The next closest connection is after the resurrection when Thomas, doubting Thomas, right, sees the resurrected Lord for who he is and says, my Lord and my God. But this man, perhaps the least likely of characters, at least from our human perspective, right, ends up at the end of this this encounter with Jesus, worshiping Jesus. And this really is the, the height, the culmination of the story, the works of God that were to be displayed in this man that Jesus spoke of back at the beginning of the chapter, the purpose for which he was born blind, was that the glory of God might be displayed in him, not just in Jesus restoring his sight, but in Jesus opening his eyes, eyes of faith, granting him true sight, granting him faith. There are some lessons for us here. The first is that faith is personal. We live in a very individualistic society here in North America, especially in the West, um, where we talk a lot about our our personal relationship with Jesus. And so sometimes I kind of bristle a little bit to that because, yes, we are saved, but we're saved into something. We're saved into a family, right? And so a lot of the things we read in the New Testament are actually written to to y'all when it says you. They're not written just uh, just to you. They're written to all the believers together. Do these things together in fellowship. We're saved into a family. But... The truth is, faith is personal. Our response to the question, do you believe, is a personal one. Children, if you're here, if you're present, old and maybe young, your parents can't believe for you. Many of them would like to. I wish that my faith could be applied to my children so that I wouldn't have to worry about whether or not they will trust in Jesus. Your parents can teach you, They can train you up in the ways of uh, the Word, God's Word. They can pray for you, and I'm sure that they do, but they cannot trust in Jesus for you. They can't do it on your behalf. We aren't born into faith, believe it or not. Um, Just because we come to church on a regular basis doesn't make us saved. Just because you consider Maybe yourself a member of a church or a member of Valley Bible Church. I'm in, right? I'm in the in crowd. Nope, that doesn't do it either. No, we must each answer the question for ourselves. Do we believe? Faith also accompanies profession. Faith accompanies profession. A natural response to faith is a profession or a confession or a... Or a declaration of that faith. They go together. Jesus' question requires a response. Do you believe? Lord, I believe. Romans 10, 9-10 says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Luke 6, 45 the good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good and the evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil for his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. What are our hearts full of? If we have placed our faith in Christ it ought to be something that we, that we talk about. Faith accompanies the profession of faith. Faith also responds or results in worship. We see that here. A natural outpouring of this man's profession is that he worships Jesus. Depend on it, C.H. Spurgeon said. Depend on it, my hearer. You never will go to heaven unless you are prepared to worship Jesus Christ as God. Jesus is the Son of Man. And our passage takes a bit of a bit of a turn, sort of, in, in verse 37. Jesus says, for judgment I came into this world. And I don't know about you, but if you've memorized verses, Scripture, probably some here have. You may have memorized John 3.17. I'm sure that more of you probably know John 3.16, right? Some of us may be in multiple languages. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life but john 17 follows it right it says this for god did not send his son into the world to judge the world but that the world might be saved through him wait a minute is there a contradiction here jesus you said for judgment you came into the world but verse 17 says for god didn't send his son into the world to judge the world That's why it helps to be look at context. We need to read on in uh, in John chapter 3, and it will make more sense. Verse 18 says, He who believes in him is not judged, but he who does not believe has been judged already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Verse 19 through 21 really help us to understand what Jesus is saying. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world. And men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. The light has come, and Jesus very, Presence brings with it a judgment. A judgment against darkness, against sin and wickedness, and all that is evil, it convicts of sin. The darkness can't stand the light. I think it's hard for us. In in our culture, we don't often think about the darkness that pervades our lives, or the lives of our neighbors, or the lives of those around us. I think our culture in particular is is fairly numb for a number of reasons. Um, I don't want to get too into it, but I'm not sure. You not know, sure. One of the greatest tools uh, of our enemy is fear. Um, we, we don't see fear in, in, in the same way in the supernatural. We just celebrated Halloween. Well, I know a lot of us probably didn't celebrate, but some of us did celebrate. You know, and, and yet we might find some weird fascination with you know, ghouls and goblins and all this kind of stuff, right? Uh, things that are kind of fictitious in our mind. We go, okay, yeah, those are fun. Perhaps we, we like those things. I, I don't think we think of supernatural in our culture so much in relation to fear. Um, we do fear. Uh, we fear things. We fear losing our job. We fear losing uh, our health. Perhaps we fear losing relationships. Um, really, anything that might remove our comforts. I think that's one of the, uh, the things that numbs us to the spiritual is our comforts. And that's a whole other topic. We're not going to get into that, so I'll move on. But we don't tend to think uh, of this battle between darkness and light, at least not in the same way that we see here, um, not in the same way that other cultures sometimes see it. <clears throat> and so when I was thinking about this, I was really reminded of, of uh, something I've, been, I've read, but Linda's been reading to our family recently, uh, a book by, by Michael Dawson. And um, We've got a weird kind of rhythm in our family. Uh, I don't know what everybody else's rhythms are, but we have found that the best time for us all to get together um, and connect is in the morning, which my teenagers aren't normally very excited about. It used to be like 5 in the morning, and then last year I think it was 6 in the morning. Now it's 7, so they should really be thankful. It's late. But 7 a.m., we all sit up at the table, and those of us who are coherent... Uh, might, uh, might have some breakfast, and the other ones just kind of sit there. And we go through the, the calendar, we go through what's going to happen that day. We've got six kids, so there's lots of us, and we range in ages from, you know, from four, the twins are four, up to, to well, up to uh, the adults, but also uh, teenagers, one just out of high school. So lots of different things, and we're trying to navigate that, and so we talk about that. And then we have a time for devotional, or actually lately, Linda's been reading uh, from this book, this book, by Michael Dawson called Growing Up Yanomamo. And Michael Dawson is the son of missionaries who went to the Yanomamo uh, tribe uh, in Venezuela. That's where Linda grew up, my wife. And so uh, a lot of what she's reading, she's like, oh, this is what we did. And this is so cool. And you kids, I want you to understand the things that I went through growing up in Venezuela. And it's been really cool. But some of the stories that he tells are just fascinating. They've been fascinating to me. In fact. I started out by going, okay, it's not really, it wasn't really a devotional that we're doing right now, so I was like getting off to work early, coming into the church office, and then she'd start reading these, and pretty soon I was so kind of captivated by these stories, and now I have to sit there till the end before I can leave or get ready to go. So, um, and then I actually read ahead the book and finished it without the family because I wanted to know more about it. He's actually written two follow-up books too, but anyway, shameless plug for this book. I, I really, it really is fascinating. He tells a story, so several stories, but. Obviously, it's a book of stories. Um, but, but uh, one of the stories he tells uh, just really focuses on this this light and darkness um, idea. He talks about the the shamans, the, the the Yanomamo shamans that come, the witch doctors, and they would, and just in their drug-induced kind of uh, stupor, they go on these spirit journeys. They see the light. He talks about how the the evil spirits always tell them, "Don't go to the light. It's our enemy. You know, you don't ever want to get near the light. The light is always seen as the enemy." For them. Um, and, uh, and even, even the ones that are healers. And he tells another story uh, about uh, as a missionary family, they'd received this donation from some uh, pastor in the U.S., uh, all these gospel records. And so his sisters, he's, they're a family of 10, they have 10 kids. So, but his sisters um, would play these, uh, these records of gospel music, and they'd play them loud, and they'd sing and dance and have a good time. And uh, the Yanomami uh, chiefs and shamans would come down to the to their houseboat and say hey you got to turn that off I say oh I'm sorry I know is it disturbing you the kids like to have it loud and uh, and he goes no no you got to turn it off because when when it's on the spirits don't come and so we do our chants and we do our stuff and the the spirits stay far off and we want the spirits to come close because otherwise that's that's our power that's when we do our healing and do our you know the stuff we got to do we need the spirits there they're the, they're the things that empower us to do those things so so. <laughs> Anyway, so, so the dad just kept saying, turn it up, turn it up, you know, to the, to the daughters. Um, <clears throat> the same thing happens later. Michael goes back as a missionary uh, down there as well, and he and his wife, uh, his wife couldn't, wasn't used to it, and so she couldn't sleep because they do all this chanting and dancing at night late into the night hours, and so they bought a tape recorder uh, with a repeat feature, and they would just put a tape in, of worship songs, and they would, they would put it on, and it would be playing, and... Uh, same thing happens, you know, the, the tribe elders come down, talk, 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 you've got to turn that off, you know, and they go, oh, I'm sorry, is it too loud? And Well, yeah, we can't, you know, we're chanting, and then he goes, well, we keep turning it up because you keep chanting louder. They say, well, we keep chanting louder because the spirits won't come. We need the spirits, you know, and so you get this idea of light and darkness. I'll tell you all that, I, I actually wanted to tell a story that's not in there, <clears throat> but uh, the character that is in there um, was uh, Chief Shufoot or Bautista, and I wanted to recount to you his own words. He's interviewed um, by Gary Dawson. That's Michael Dawson's older brother. Um, and uh, he recounts some of his story uh, in his own words, in his own way. And, and just listen to the story, if you will, for a minute. And think about what we've heard about light and darkness. What we've, uh, we've been talking about, about blindness and spiritual blindness. And the gospel. These are uh, Bautista's words. He was a notorious uh, notorious shaman among the Yanomamo. He says this, I was in bondage to Satan and his demons. I had so many evil spirits living within me that I was in total darkness, filled with hate for everyone. I was a shaman healer of my people, but my demonic spirits were at their happiest when through my spells, we were trying to kill someone. They would scream with joy whenever I would abuse or rape some woman. The darkness that I wandered in, there was no way out for me. Even my own people began to fear me and would only whisper my name. Your dad told me about Jesus Christ one day when I was naked and in a drug-induced stupor, sitting on a log. I stunk because I had vomited all over myself. But these two beautiful, clean people... Put their arms around me, and your father told me that he too had been in bondage, that he too had been filthy with sin, but that he had cried out to Jesus, God's Son, to set him free. That day he told me the truth about God, that we all feared the God who terrifies Satan and his demons. Even I had been terrified of him in the spirit world. He told me how this God, creator of everything, loved me so much that he sent his son to this earth to become a person and to take the punishment of my sin and that he died in my place, that he rose again and was waiting for me to cry out to him and that he would set me free and that he would cleanse me. But not only that, but wonder of wonder, he would drive out the demonic forces from me and set me free from their power." I staggered away from that encounter with your parents, and I went off into the jungles by myself. I found this huge log that had been blown over by the wind, and I sat down and began to talk to God. God, I know that you are from afar. My demons fear you. God, you see me, and you know how filthy I am. You know the hate and anger in my heart. You know that I am completely controlled by the demons. Even now they are clamoring for me to stop talking to you, making so much noise that I can hardly think. Oh God, if you can please set me free. I looked up and for the first time I saw Satan himself running through the jungles toward me. He grabbed my arms and began to chant the old demonic chants and began to make me dance. Once again I cried out, Jesus, if you can set me free, I want you, oh, set me free. There was a blinding flash of light between me and Satan. I felt someone grab me away, and a voice of total authority said, Leave him alone and never come back. He is mine now. That day, Satan and his demons left and have never come back. The darkness is real, but the light has come, and with him, judgment As Jesus says, so that those who do not see may see and that those who see may become blind. The Pharisees affirm their blindness at the end of this chapter, verses 40 and 41. There's a question. Um, The story could have ended there, but it doesn't. Apparently there were Pharisees present to witness Uh, what was happening, this interchange. We can't know if they had been following Jesus around or perhaps they had lingered after casting the man out of the synagogue. These may have been the ones, if you remember at the beginning of their interviews, their interrogation of the man maybe had asked, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? But we don't know. What we do know is that they're there. They seem to appear. It almost feels like there's this interchange just between Jesus and the man. And then it's like, oh, and then there's Pharisees and they have a question says this, those of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and said to him, we are not blind too, are we? These Pharisees, these keepers of the law seem to make light of the situation. Their question is most assuredly disingenuous. We know that because Jesus rebukes them. We'll look at that in a minute. But here's the thing, it shouldn't be. If they remembered their Isaiah lessons, if they remembered... Um, That right after Isaiah's famous words, you know, most of us know a great missionary passage, you know, here I am, here am I, send me, Isaiah says in in chapter 6 of Isaiah. God says this to Isaiah, okay, go and tell this people, keep on listening, but do not perceive. Keep on looking, but do not understand. Render the hearts of this people insensitive, their ears dull and their eyes dim. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and return and be healed. Later in chapter 29 of Isaiah, verse 10, another prophetic passage regarding the spiritual leaders of Israel says, For the Lord has poured over you a spirit of deep sleep. He has shut your eyes, the prophets, and he has covered your heads, the seers. In Romans eleven eight, Paul says, Grappling with why Israel remains in a condition of blindness uses this passage to explain um, their continued rejection of the Messiah. And these Pharisees, knowing these prophetic passages, at the very least should have been given pause to consider what Jesus was saying. Truly consider if perhaps they were blind, needing to see Jesus. Instead they say, come on Jesus. You aren't saying that we, the ones who can see, are blind. You're not saying that, are you? Come on. We're the teachers of the law. We know the law inside and out. Apparently they don't. And so Jesus rebukes them. And we have to see this verse as that. Uh, if we try to make, make sense of 39 or 41 out of 39, you end up in an endless circle. And we talked about that in the staff meeting, but I'll leave that to you to look at um, on your own time. But Jesus responds to them really with a rebuke. He says, He says this, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say we sin, your sin remains. He essentially says, No, 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 you don't get it. If you were blind, you'd recognize your desperate need and would, like the blind man, come to me. You would believe in me. The light is standing right before them. And they can't comprehend it, though they claim they have sight. They can't even see. No, you say you can see, and so your guilt or sin remains. There are similar passages in Mark and Luke where Jesus tells the Pharisees, paraphrasing of course, I didn't come to heal the healthy or righteous, or at least those who think they are like they thought they were, but to heal the sick, those who recognize their need of a Savior. (laughs) Let us not be blinded by our own righteousness, by our own goodness, by the fact that we come to church on Sundays or do all the right thing or even know the Bible or have memorized a lot of verses. We need to come, place our faith, our trust, our hope in Jesus. So some final lessons for us. We're all born blind Yes, there was a spiritual darkening, a blinding of the Pharisees, but we are all born spiritually blind. We are desperately lost in darkness with no way out apart for, from Jesus, the, the light. We need the light to come into our lives, to open our eyes. First Corinthians 2:14 says, The natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. A question for us, we've asked it several times. I want to ask it again as we finish up. Do you believe in the Son of Man? You must. There is no other way to be saved. There is no other way to be reconciled to God. So please, if you have not placed your trust in Jesus, I encourage you to do so today. Today. And if you have done this or maybe you've done it recently, please tell one of our pastors or elders or, or a friend or the person you came with, before you leave, we would love to pray with you, to encourage you, to walk alongside of you as you begin your journey of faith. For those of us who have placed our faith in Christ, where where are our blind spots? Yes, this is talking about a blindness that doesn't recognize Christ, right? But But at the same time, We can have blind spots too. What are the areas in our life where we may be giving our adversary an occasion for temptation, for sin in our lives? We must look to those things. We must be vigilant. And with the psalmist say, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me. And lead me in the everlasting way. And lastly, consider your calling invite you to consider your calling. As we said earlier, God has worked uniquely in each of our our lives to draw us, to open our eyes uh, to the truth, to trust in him. No two stories of coming to the faith are the same. So I invite you to take some time and consider this week how God has worked in your life. Incredible things he has done in your journey of faith. Consider what he's done for you and then consider sharing that with Someone else, maybe your life group this week, or someone else that you may know, maybe as a testimony. You can begin to do so right now as, as the worship team comes to lead us as we prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper. I would encourage you uh, to consider the words to the song we're going to sing. The worship team was already singing that uh, as you came in this morning. Consider uh, the words to the song especially the first and second verses. We'll partake together. So if you haven't grabbed a cup, um, if you've placed your faith in Christ, you're invited to join us in this. So I encourage you to do that while we sing.